for September 21st, 2009. It's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 64. I am going to let you finish. Welcome to the Overthinking It Podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. This week, I'm your host, Mark Lee. You heard it right, Mark Lee. Matt Rather is uh, somewhere lost in Los Angeles uh, at the DMV office. So uh, thank you, Government Services of California and, and Governor Schwarzenegger for you know um, making them even more efficient than they already were and depriving us of our host, Matt Rather. Who am I kidding? I don't care that Matt's gone. I am drunk, drunk with power that I am the host, and I am freaking <laughs> in charge here. So all right, panel, listen up. We're going to shape up, and we're going to overthink things like we've never overthought before. Do you hear me? Uh, maybe. I don't know. That's not what I want to hear. Do you <laughs> uh, hear me? Yeah, sure. Definitely. Private Balinky, do you hear me? Mr. Joe Sergeant. All right. Okay. Well, I have assembled here an elite squad of overthinkers. Overthinkers. We're here to overthink the Emmys. Um, we got uh, to pay memorial, our last respects to Patrick Swayze. Um, but to kick things off with the Emmys, they're going on now as we're recording the show. Uh, we're kind of, you know, tuning in with the results as they come in, so we'll be uh, discussing those later in the show. But to start, the question for the panel is, um, what is a an Emmy Award that you would give out, and who would you give it to? First in alphabetical order, alphabetical order this week, shaking things up, uh, from New York, New York, actually in Connecticut this time, Matthew Belinky, is that correct? Uh, yeah, that is uh, correct. I'm in Connecticut for the night. You have uh, translocated. Yeah, well, it's my tradition when I grew up, I would always watch the Emmy Awards in Connecticut, and much like a salmon, an Emmy Award watching salmon, I returned to the place which I spawned to watch Neil Patrick Harris dance. <laughs> it is a beautiful, beautiful circle of life. Um, I'd like to give a Rookie of the Year award, um, not for not for a person, but for a show, because I think I want to acknowledge the fact that like TV shows, unlike movies, are things that continue and evolve through time, and I think that it would be cool to acknowledge like you know the most exciting new show to come along in the last year. Now, unfortunately, this year I'm looking at the list. I don't know if like last year had any like breakout like wow that's this is the most exciting thing to come along in years breaking bad was pretty good and like that was i think that was last season that premiered um so that just proves uh, I, I read it. but you could all give out an award for sort of best swan song like the show that like went off the air because we all know the, sort of the Andy awards you know they they tend to when shows are young and hot you know, they, they get nominated for the award. And then, like, um, you know, like, James Gandolfini wasn't any less of a good actor towards the end of The Sopranos, but, like, he just stopped getting... I don't know about And so that, I think it would be cool to, to acknowledge, like, you know, the, the show that went out the strongest of the past year. That's a good point. I think we've talked a lot on this podcast about kind of best show finales. Um especially in the context because, you know, we, for The Shield and for Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles, we have sent those shows off, um, you know, by, you know, watching their last episodes and, you know, devoting special episodes of the podcast to them. And there really is kind of a, a, a special um, a special art to, uh, to ending a show in a really satisfying way. It's not easy to do. Yeah, okay. I, I totally agree. And for the first time of many... 
in this uh, podcast, I'm going to mention that The Shield should have won many uh, Academy Awards. I realize it's not even a movie, but it should have won Academy Awards anyway. <laughs> it should just spill over into the other award award categories as well. Yeah, it should just like show up at the Grammys, and then like Big Mac, you should just like you know like punch people and just take their <laughs> you come out and be like, "Listen to me, Lady Gaga. I'm really happy for you, and I'm gonna let you finish. <laughs> I gotta let you. Know. I gotta find out where the Salvadorans took Venice. You're gonna tell me." <laughs> you think these people are going to stop me? I work for these people. I produce results for these people. You don't know beep about these people. <laughs> <laughs> and the Kanye meme has officially invaded the podcast. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Excellent. Um, and that is the voice, of course, of Mr. Peter Fenzel coming in from the lovely state of Massachusetts. That's Mr. correct. You are, you've won your great grand prize, which I will is a great a very big hug from me. I That's was, the official grand prize of overthinking it. Not Mitt Milano's. Mitt Milano's. No, those are reserved for Wu Tang Clan members who show up on the podcast or who come to my house. Hold on. Wait. 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 We never established. Did we establish that as a rule? Because I thought we were giving away Mitt Milano's for other things as well. Not just oh. for Wu-Tang Clan members. You know, that's, you know, I'm, I, that sounds fine. I, maybe we, maybe we should review our, uh, award and expense <laughs> policy. Maybe we, maybe in this, like, trying time when businesses are having to monitor their, their perks, we should, uh, we should be careful about, uh, what we're, we're giving out to whom and we should get an official policy for it. What so is, you have to what, sign an expense slip. What constitutes a Milano? Is that supposed to mean that, like, this is the style of pastry that is, that, that all the cool kids are eating in the fashionable city of Milan? Uh, probably, unless it, unless it refers to, like, the fact that it's, like, a folder, because it's, like, two, like, white cookies around, like, a, a dark file of paper. <laughs> like Blinky, a, go look that up Manilo. on Wikipedia. That would be a Manilo. A Manilo is different from a Milano. <laughs> Blinky, go look that up on Wikipedia. While you're doing that, I'm going to ask Pete Fenzel, what fictional Emmy Award would you give out, and to whom? Well, I was going to say Best Robot, but I was going to have to make a joke <laughs> That was going to have to reveal spoilers for Battlestar Galactica, so I'm not going to do that. Instead, and I wasn't even going to talk about one of the actual robots, but instead, I'm going to say that there need, there should be a best pitch or like a best logline for a series, like best best new series pitch, uh, regardless of how well the show actually spooled out. Well, I feel like it has to be a show that actually got produced. I mean, I feel like that that we're not the Nemis are never really. Going to, none of these big award shows really reward the best actor or the best actress or the best show. There's always the caveat that the show has to achieve at least a certain amount of basic success before it's considered. Right? Like right. the best actor might be some guy who was in like a student film in, you know, Sacramento Tech. Um, and he was just amazing, but like nobody saw the movie and it doesn't matter. Right? But so we're assuming that it's the best actor of, you know, a movie or a TV show that uh, was actually put forth for major publication of one sort or another, however you want to define that. So I would say, like, look at the shows that are out there now, that are making headlines, that are catching eyes, and, and just have something that explains to people how the pitching works or how the log lines work, because it's going to be so important for how the shows are marketed and put together. Um, it's as much of an important part of the show as... Um, in terms of its marketing success as a lot of its writing or sound design or anything like that. So I think it should be acknowledged as part of the TV production process. But that robot joke was going to be hilarious. Let me tell you. And you should all watch Battlestar Galactica, and then I'll tell you the robot joke, and it will blow your mind. So, um, well, I'm sure, those, I'm sure those robots were great on Battlestar Galactica, but uh, clearly they couldn't, top, they couldn't top the lovely Summer Glau um, Cameron Terminator from Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles. So, so <laughs> there... Or we could just give it to Tom Brokaw in the year of his retirement. <laughs> <laughs> what, was he particularly robotic in that in that his last uh, in his last year? 
I don't know if he was more robotic than usual, but it's possible that he had <laughs> oh, a general. Burn. Um, but, but so, so this best logline thing, though. So do you have a TV show that you would give this to? A TV show that I would give best logline to? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'm just looking at the big ones now. Um, I mean, it doesn't go to – I mean, you know what you might give it to is you might give it to Weeds. Like, Weeds has a pretty solid logline, right? Give it to and us for those like, who might not be familiar with oh, it. It's it's about like a uh, was it about a is she a mom I don't know whether she's a mom or not but it's like about a, a young middle aged woman who um, in order to make ends meet uh, opens a small marijuana business right um, and con- conflicts and contradicts and uh, runs into conflict with both the people in her life and um, drug dealers and like the drug element so like I feel like weeds is and it has a great title like that would be part of it is like you want to reward a title that helps you understand what the show is about and also once you figure out what the show is about like makes you want to watch it. Right, so like House has a really has I mean House has a decent logline, but it has kind of a terrible title. Um, what, what, what's the logline for House? Oh, what's the logline for House? It would be like a uh, it's a it's a curmudgeonly antisocial doctor who, solves medical uh, mysteries. Yeah, he, you know, solves medical mysteries that see, yes. solves unsolvable medical mysteries that confound contemporary science. So you're, you're talking about giving an award for the the neatest sounding show, regardless of how the show is executed. Or the best concept, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe best concept would be, and you could you could even include in that like concepting work, and um, you could take a look at any God books that they create for the shows. Um, do you guys know God books? God books are, are fun stuff. You, you, know, you mean like the, you talking, mean like the Bible? About Bibles. Yeah, the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, which is which is that the uh, when you're like a a writer for the show, you put together a Bible that has information about like all the characters. Uh, the settings that are ba- basically all the rules for writing an episode of the show and anything yeah. that's accepted as a fact, such as like Dwight Schrute lives on a beet farm, like that would yeah. be on the Bible. And theoretically that like if you give a writer who's never seen the show uh, a copy of the Bible, he should like, you know, be able to put together an episode of the show that like may not fit the style, but at least won't contradict anything. Maybe they should give an award for best Bible. I don't think anyone would have a problem with that. That would be right, but then the Bible would win every year, right? <laughs> well, that's what they say. But the people would be pushing for the Book of Mormon, and then there would be a lot of controversy. And Big Love would win every year out of some sort of crazy confluence of factors and a strange coalition. By the uh, way, I have information about the Milanos if you guys are, are interested. Oh, please, please, we're dying. Break in. We have an emergency update from the Emmys from Matt Belinke about cookies. What is it? I was What's actually going? right in my guess. The Milanos are, in fact, named after the city of Milan. Uh, there, the Pepperidge Farms had a line of European themed cookies, one of which was the Naples. Uh, the Naples was a, a vanilla wafer topped with uh, dark chocolate. The problem with the Naples is that when they would ship to warmer climates, the, Na- uh, the Naples cookies would melt together because the chocolate was on top. So that the company simply created a new cookie by sandwiching two of the Naples cookies together. So they were two vanilla wafers with chocolate in the middle, and they just called it the Milano. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. God bless America. God bless capitalism. I love it. Yeah, Milan is a nicer place than than Naples anyway, from what I hear. Although my apologies to anybody on the podcast who lives in southern Italy who is of the misguided impression that Naples is a nice city. Uh, I don't mean to shatter your worldview, but uh, I've been told it's the Newark of Italy, um, right? And not Newark, a home of the University of Delaware, but Newark. Home of the NJ Pack New Jersey Performing Arts Center, mm. um, and other wonderful things. Brick City in the his house. But yeah, <laughs> wow. isn't there? Any, I hear there was an expression "Go to Naples," right? Which which means go to hell. Um, that was there was a pizza parlor when we went to college called Naples. 
That's yeah, true. and if you what told happened? someone to go to Naples, that wasn't so much like go to hell. It was more like, you know, go somewhere where you can um, get alcohol or being underaged. Yeah, but that's a different yeah, yeah. story for a different time. Let me wrap up this uh, this part of our Emmy <laughs> conversation with um, my pick for my fictional Emmy Award that I would give out. Um, and the answer is um, best use of the phrase, I'm not here to make friends in the reality television show. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I don't watch enough reality TV to give this award out, but I would uh, obviously the, the point to the source of this award, which is a great YouTube clip, which we'll certainly include in the show uh, notes of this, of uh, someone who took uh, about like 60 some odd clips of reality show contestants saying, I'm not here to make friends. Um, <laughs> laying them just all lined up next to each other. And just kind of, the whole point of this obviously is that, you know, um, uh, for every reality show, there's at least one, if not two contestants who, you know, are not, use, here, to who are not here to make friends. They, they use that as kind of their excuse to be big jerks to everyone else in the show. Yeah. Um, right. You know, my favorite my favorite uh, fan video that's like that is a video somebody made from Star Trek The Next Generation that splices together all the times that Patrick Stewart says the word beam in the show. <laughs> it's just like, beam, 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 beam them up, beam. Uh, another uh, another good example of that is the Mr. Freeze montage from Batman and Robin. Yeah. Cold ice, cold chill, freeze ice, cold, cold, cold. <laughs> It's fantastic. Well, well, it's just all the, that, all the puns is, together. <laughs> it's time to kick ice. No, it's, it's even worse. It's even so. better than that. It's not just the puns. It's just the words for ice. I remember this. I've seen this Batman and Robin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the last phrase is "Let's kick some ice," and that's how it ends. Which is, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another good one of every time uh, the Night Rider hit like the afterburner or whatever it's called. Oh, you know, like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We're talking about the yeah, yeah, yeah. They should Which definitely give an Emmy for best fan video, and it should be like uh, best best like fan made montage video. And there should be like both musical and non musical. So there should be like I took a Linkin Park song and I made a bunch of clips of Six Feet Under to this <laughs> Linkin Park song, and you should watch it. And then there should be like, hey, I took you know all the times that Charlie Sheen like gives a gives a sort of shrugging his shoulders look to the camera and two and a half men, and I put them together. <laughs> well, you know uh, they do have they did have YouTube awards. It was the first time last year, right? Oh, really? Yeah, but the YouTube Awards were kind of bull, right? Weren't they? Wait, who votes on the YouTube Awards? Do people on YouTube vote on the YouTube Awards? I think we need to figure this out. Well, I do know that they they were heavily biased in favor of, like, YouTube celebrities, right? Um, And, like, sort of YouTube memes that have gone mainstream. Like um, the Chocolate Rain Kid. Yeah, and, like, like, uh, I think Lisa Nova was heavily involved, which is somebody I once promised I would write a big piece on, but I never did. But, But are you, like, implying that the Chocolate Rain guy does not deserve to win that award? I mean, uh, I think that... The awards should represent the broad variety of things that YouTube makes and that by including just like the Chocolate Rain guy and like Fred and a bunch of other people like that, you're not acknowledging what your service is primarily being used for and you're like sort of cordoning off like a very, very small part of it. Um, and, you, and you're claiming that this is the legitimate part, um, and you're not paying attention to the fact that there are far more videos and far more views of things involving Sailor Moon on your site than there are of all the other things um, that you're talking about in your awards put together. Yeah, well, I, I think you've inadvertently stumbled upon uh, you know this crucial problem at the core of any award show, which is that what's the best way to pick the winners? Do you pick them mm-hmm. by popular acclaim? And if you pick them by popular acclaim, uh, what's the point of having the award show? Because you could just look at what has the most hits on YouTube, yeah, and yeah. then and then not do the award show. And if you have them picked by like a small group of people, then why would you want to watch? You'd only want to watch that if you feel like that group of people really has um, 
some level of authority to make that choice. I think that's why the the Academy Awards, and I guess to a lesser extent the Emmy Awards, you're willing to because even when you you don't agree with who wins them, nobody sort of it, it's the fact that they're picked by the celebrities themselves. Yeah, that that make them interesting. I guess yeah. that's definitely opposed, true. No, it's interesting that like I was I was trying to figure this out after like the VMAs and I couldn't. Where do the VMAs come from? Like, is it just like the people who work at MTV sitting around at a coffee table? Um, perhaps. Maybe it's all of the interns that work at MTV and VH1. Uh, I'm sorry, that was a sort of an inside joke that I won't explain. Um, let's see. <laughs> um, well, let's find out. Uh, choose the winners. Winners. I'm looking at the YouTube page for the MTV Video Music Awards. Uh, winners next. Uh, I don't think they actually explain. Yeah, my guess would be my guess would be the the viewers of some sort. I mean, it's uh, um. Well, some of them are voted for, right? Um, I know. I remember that there some of them are some of them are voted for, but I don't think all of them are. Are they? Or are they all? Are they all elected? Well, I, don't, I don't think they all should be because if everything is voted for, then you know that whatever is the most popular video in a given category will almost certainly win. Oh, yeah. Sort of, yeah, or else yeah. the one that's about 4chan or the one that's like by the Turks, right? Right. Because <laughs> if you put a, a poll on the internet, it's either going to be won by like the Turkish government or by 4chan. I think those are the or, only Or by Stephen I Colbert, of. I think, is the other option. <laughs> that's true. Stephen Colbert would win all the video music awards, and he probably would deserve them, too. He, he, yeah, I mean, he had a, he had, I'm um, yeah, singing in Korean. That was I mentioned this last episode. I'm singing in Korean. Yeah. Singing in Korean fantastic. wasn't even nominated for a video music award, was it? That's a crime. That's a, that's a shame. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, let's yeah. get back to the Emmys a little bit later on, which will buy us some time to sort of some more awards to come in, which we can uh, then pick apart. Ooh, um, Mark's getting organized. Look how look at Mark getting organized. Setting up, an up, agenda, up, up, up. guys. We're You're being an ethnic stereotype, Mark. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm going to go solve some math problems as well, too, while, while, while we're doing this. Um, yeah, I meant from the South. Southern people are too organized. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> yes, that is what my people are known for. Yes, everybody playing the banjo and setting agendas. It's crazy. <laughs> right. You ever notice how like all this like the space program stuff is in the south? It's because Southerners in math and engineering. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. It has nothing to do with you know like land and you know best place to launch rockets from. Can't stop doing math. God, it's the it's the it's the freaking corn pone industrial complex is what it is. <laughs> It's in gravy and graphing calculators. Oh, come on, guys. This is not subject my ethnic and cultural Waffle background House. to the level of scrutiny yeah. doesn't Waffle deserve. This is, select the, this is subject the popular culture to the level of scrutiny doesn't deserve. That's true. Not my background. I, I love the South. I love the South because they do. They did a whole bunch of bad shit that they got caught for, but they still proud of themselves, which I think is you got to have that positivity <laughs> in life or you're not getting anywhere. Or obliviousness. If your license plate says TI-82, you might be a redneck. <laughs> <laughs> if, Wait. if you mow your lawn and you find a slide rule, if you thought that the Massachusetts Institute of Technology was a kind of grits, <laughs> no, it doesn't work at all. Uh, <laughs> Wait, it's, it's not? Uh, no, hominy. Well, no, it, it is, but really it's also a university hominy. in Massachusetts. That's true. That's true. That's true. If you <laughs> thought Duke, North Carolina, was a math bowl competition, <laughs> wait, that doesn't make sense either. I'm, I've, I've, I've passed my peak. I've failed. I deserve no Emmy award for my swan song on that one. Right. So, Mark, you were doing something that was actually not all that characteristic of your ethnicity, and you were ta- calling us to move on to the next topic. Was that in fact the case? That was. Uh, it was it's very. It's very in, in tune with my with my heritage and whatnot. Um, anyway, in, 
So as a New Yorker who works for the government, and so you're all like, you know, well, we need to be efficient and move on to the next thing. No, was awesome. Waldo Faldo was awesome. I'm going to say that right now. Best TV character ever was Waldo Geraldo Faldo. All right, what was the next topic that you were going to talk? Okay, all right, time to get serious, guys. We're getting into the celebrity death portion of the podcast, which seems to have worked its way into a lot of podcasts recently. What is it? Are more celebrities dying nowadays, or are we just taking more notice of it? Um, we, we mentioned this in another podcast, and I think uh, I can't remember who had it, but there's an interesting theory that there are more celebrities these days. It's like the baby boomer, some of the demographic trend, as well as you know, kind of we're we're, we're seeing the aftermath of, of pop culture movements from the '60s and '70s and '80s, and those icons are coming to pass now. I mean, Farrah Fawcett died of cancer. I, I Patrick would be Swayze very interested to, to come up with some sort of a metric to track the number of celebrities. I know that that it's such a vague thing, but I think that like if you if you could talk about the number of like proper names in an issue of like Us Weekly, and like does this change from like decade to decade? Yeah, the, uh, the the metric that I proposed earlier was um, celebrity deaths that garnered the um, the top half of the homepage of the New York Times website, in particular, like the uh, you know the the main image that they supply. On the it's front just hard there. to ar- find archives of that, right? Exactly. That yeah, that's a very difficult thing to you know to go yeah. backwards and find. Um, but uh, you know, Patrick Swayze uh, has left us after a battle with pancreatic cancer. Um, the latest in celebrity deaths, and um, you know, we as we um, have been doing a lot recently, we have memorialized him on the website. You know, pay tribute to his uh, movie career, and uh, so we wanted to use some time of the podcast to have any parting thoughts on Patrick Swayze, his career, and I think there was an interesting, um, interesting idea that was proposed earlier uh, in the pre-show conversation, which was that Patrick Swayze was the '80s John Wayne. <laughs> an interesting idea, and I want yeah. the panel to overthink that. Um, well, I mean, obviously, we have to ex- we have to think about this more in terms of what is Patrick Swayze relative to his viewership, and not necessarily what is Patrick Swayze relative to other movie stars, because um, there are certainly other movie stars who, when put against Patrick Swayze, make him look very un John Wayne like. But I think right. that the the main and I'll, I'll step out for a second because I know Matt has a lot he wants to say on this topic. But the main thing that prompted us to potentially make that observation is watching Swayze's performances and not, not necessarily taking them entirely out of context, but trying to see the performances for what they are in, in an acting style and in a communicative style and in an artistic style. What is Patrick Swayze actually doing when he's on screen as opposed to what is our memory of him? And I think that the note that we hit on was he has a very sort of – soft-spoken but forceful and, insi- and, and insistent way of approaching uh, conflicts and, and, and interactions and scenes. Uh, I mean, Matt I'll, Matt, I'll step aside because I don't want to take up everything that you were talking to me about before the call. But, um, I mean, does that cover sort of the beginning of it? Yeah, no, no I, th- I, I think it does. And, I mean, when you get down to it, I, like, I'm probably not going to go too far out on a limb to defend this theory. The, the thing about Patrick Swayze is, like, he didn't have that um, long a career. When you right. think about it, I mean, I'm looking at his filmography right now, and, you know, in, in terms of the movies he did, which are, I, I would say that, like, you know, have are part of the popular culture to this day. I mean, he had a part in The Outsiders. It was not a really big part. I wouldn't say The Outsiders is a Patrick uh, Swayze movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Red Dawn, obviously. Um, Dirty Dancing, obviously. Roadhouse, Ghost. 
Point Break. And then after Point Break, that's pretty much it. Um, I'm a big fan of Tall Tale, The Unbelievable Adventures of Pico's Bill, in which yeah. he plays Pico's Bill, but I don't think that's it. Uh, to Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything is kind of a fun movie. I don't think that's a classic. Uh, yeah. Black Dog, once again, kind of a fun movie. <laughs> and then it's like, so, so we're just really talking about like three or four movies. And, and really the, the sort of like, the, the core, the, the sort of Old Testament and New Testament of Patrick Swayze is, of course, uh, <laughs> Dirty Dancing and Ghost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. It's really interesting how much he progresses as a performer between Dirty Dancing and Ghost. It's kind of amazing that it's only three years. That, like, he, he goes from playing a, a young guy, right? Like, he's supposed to be, what, a high school age kid in Dirty Dancing? Something like that? Yeah. Uh, Dirty Dancing so, is so- 1987. And just to, to give you uh, a point of reference, Patrick Swayze is born in 1952. So at the time he was thirty-five years old. I don't think he's supposed uh, to be in high school in Dirty Dancing. He's supposed no, to be older. He was like older. Like, he was an dance instructor, right? Oh, yeah, he's like a golf. Oh. He's like the golf pro at the club. But oh, of golf, I haven't I haven't seen Dirty, Dirty Dancing, Dancing in a long time. I was assuming it's he was he was thirty-five with thir- when when Dirty Dancing came out. He yeah he did not break through at like a young age. Um, yeah you know, yeah wow. I mean, he kicked around. I mean he was in movies you know in the early eighties, but really. It wasn't. It wasn't until he was like already getting to be, you know, a good-looking young middle-aged man. Yeah. That he. Um, well, that, when when he was in the Outsiders, when did the Outsiders come out? That Outsiders was... was only 1983, so he was already. I mean, that was already like he was probably 30 something, right? And then he he's was 31 supposed, yeah. years old. He's playing a guy in the Outsiders. He's one of the kids. That those are those are children, right? Like those are like adolescents, right? Or is he a different character in that? The, that's one of those movies where like everyone went on to have a, a really great career, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, oh, yeah, what, what are we looking at? Uh, yeah, it's it's um, yeah. I mean, it's it's Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, Matt Dillon, Tom Cruise, Ralph Macchio, and Diane Lane. Actually, oh, well, see, don't don't forget C. Thomas Howell. Right. I mean, let's not. And the, the ironic thing Thomas is, like, Howell. C. Thomas Howell was like the real star of that movie. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Tom Waits is in it too. Which is kind really? of hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't know this off the top of my head, but I'm going to create that illusion for our viewers, our listenership. Um, yeah, by, like, I'm not just clicking through websites very fast and saying what comes to mind. But, you know, they do the same <laughs> thing on Sports Center. So, um, like, they're feeding them the information through the headpiece and all that stuff. But, yeah, I mean, that was definitely one of those Kingmaker movies. Um, there's a, you know, that would be an interesting thing to write about, like Kingmaker movies, like movies where almost everybody in it went on to be in something amazing or or went on to not, not something amazing, but went on to have a solid career. And like you don't you feel like it wasn't like one person came from this and, and was successful, but that like it's a nexus for for all sorts of people who went on to doing exciting things. Like they, the were, they were relatively right? unknown at the time. Now, would yeah, the I mean, obvious thing so. in that case to be to like look on IMDb and to figure out who was the casting person for that movie? And to be like, this person is very good at their jobs. That's actually a good point. Let's look at the outsiders and see who did, who cast the outsiders. First because of all, for those cool. of you who aren't actually looking at Wikipedia right now, it's a it's a Francis Ford Coppola film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is because, it, but it's not, of course, one of the movies you think of when you think of Francis Ford Coppola. Um, also based you know, on, I mean, on, I, on the I novel. Think of, I think of Jack which... first. Mm. Um, I don't know what there has to be. <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola. I think. I think when I think of Francis Ford Coppola, I think of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, right, that was his big movie uh, with the, with the three chicks, with the Keanu Reeves and the boobies. I think in that movie, right? That was pretty much it. Yeah. And, uh, wow. So the person who cast the Outsiders has cast a lot of movies. <laughs> Casting director for a hundred and sixty movies. The Outsiders was her second one. 
Her name wow, is. So there you go. Her name is Janet Hers- Hershenson, and uh, there isn't much information on her. Um, she's won like a whole crowd load of awards. Um, she was like she a always- casting prodigy. Like her second movie out, she managed to cast like you know everyone was a winner. In that. Let me let me read to you some of her the movies that she cast, and I'm just going to sort of scroll through and note the de- next ones. Red Dawn, which is another movie where everybody was famous because I had like another another Patrick yeah. Swayze movie. Is true. Uh, Body Double is famous. Clue um, has another great cast. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. She cast uh, Matthew Broderick in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, presumably. Mm. Stand by Me is another big one. Um, yeah. She saw what? she she noticed uh, Adventures in Babysitting, which is a young Elizabeth Shue, right? Um, and, seems to enjoy casting uh, movies with like Prin- young, fresh-faced actors. Yeah, exactly, like- exactly. Princess Bride, um, Beetlejuice, Willow, um, huh. pa- Parenthood. I'm skipping When Harry Met Sally. Like, I'm just skipping a lot of, of good ones, too. Uh, Ghost, she did again. She did Air America and Home Alone, all the Home Alone movies, Godfather 3, Backdraft. So do you uh, think she was the one who, like, discovered Macaulay Culkin or, like, you know, gave him that chance? Um, like, Macaulay smart. Culkin wasn't anybody before that movie. Yeah, well, I mean, she's the casting director, so she may not necessarily have have discovered him, but she might have been the person who made it happen. Yeah, not knowing right? not knowing enough about what a casting director actually does, I, I feel like we may be giving too much credit to this one person because clearly directors have like such a huge amount of influence over you know who's well, going to show I, I, I think maybe you give the director credit for like the main leads, but I mean, obviously there there could be like you know a hundred parts that need to be cast in a movie, and the director is not going to nitpick over. Maybe the director will weigh in on all of them, but like once you're down to like three or four people, so that I mean, the casting director. In a way, it's like those little bit parts that run away with the movie. Like that's all the casting director finding the perfect person to make yeah. that scene work. Yeah, I mean, it says someone who's been in a in a in a bureaucracy, like worked in a large corporate bureaucracy for a while. I can say that like being in charge of a particular division and and being able to successfully execute on something like that is really hard. So even if someone comes to you and says, "Hey, I found this kid, Macaulay Culkin. Can he be in this movie?" There's a long and winding road between like the, the director asking for that and it actually happening. Although it looks like she's done a lot of movies where a lot of the people in them were impressive. Like here's a great one movie that she cast, Space Jam. So she. <laughs> <laughs> she's like coordinating like Patrick Ewing and Charles Barkley. No, she got Tasmanian the Tasmanian Devil, devil right? She got the <laughs> she, got, she got the she got the female Bugs Bunny. You never see her. She came out of retirement. <laughs> yeah. Sean Bradley was a bit of a stutter step, but the rest of it is gold. Uh, <laughs> All right, oh, so I'm gonna apply this. Let's apply this. Let's let's go. Let's take this casting director thing here. Yeah. I'm 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 looking for um, a bad movie. Uh, and finding the casting, the casting, you know, who's in charge of the casting of this, and uh, seeing what their record is. I'm looking for my favorite Whipping Boy Terminator Salvation, casting okay. by Justine Badelli and Kim Davis. Let's see what they are responsible for. Um, uh, he's just not that into you. Oh, where the wild things are. The Onion movie. Um, again, we're in the overthinking it. Um, read Wikipedia to you. Um, you know, part, portion, portion <laughs> I'm, of the show. I'm not show. doing Wikipedia. What are you talking about? I'm using IMDb. Sorry, I'm sorry. IMDb. IMDb. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Very, you know. Wait. Did you say that they cast? What was that movie? That not where the wild things are, but the other one you just said. Is there? A, you said there's an Onion movie. Is that what you said? There, there is an Onion movie. They did. Uh, I forget what it was called. I think it was a sort of a sketch movie in the vein of like Kentucky Fried movie. If anyone oh. remembers that one. Of course, of course, that movie is very funny. 
Um, and those guys are really good. This isn't fair because Terminal Salvation, as we well know, had a lot of problems in it. They're beyond just the cast of who showed up on screen. No, and you know, I I haven't seen it, but like, we, we, we like, um, we like Anton Yelkin or whatever his name is, right? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah, like, and and the the main the main guy right the uh, the New Zealand guy was uh, or Australian you know the what's his name Sam Worthington yeah Sam Worthington is, is I mean he's in the new James Cameron movie in a big role so like I don't think you know that guy he, just because he wasn't good at that movie does not mean that like he's not like yeah. a he, he good didn't have actor. a lot to work with neither did Christian right. Bale I would say for that I one. would say. <laughs> We we're not gonna oh man we're not gonna start crapping on Terminator Salvation again because this conversation will no, never. But end. I, w- I will say that this is Justine Baddeley has a remarkable career of taking relatively like famous and good actors and actresses and making them do ridiculously humiliating things. <laughs> <laughs> like like this person who like, she was the casting director for Terminator Salvation. She did Fever Pitch. Uh, she did. How, how ridiculous! That's not, that's not that ridiculous. What? Who? I, think that movie is rid- I mean, I guess that's that's out of pay. T- but I think I think of these when I hear the names of these movies and I think of their cast, they all make me go, ooh. So like, yeah, Charlie- is that like a little embarrassed for people that you like? Yeah, like Charlie's Angels and Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. It's like, yeah. ooh. She did it for the uh, the I think the Britney Spears Crossroads movie. Oh, <laughs> like, oh, really? oh, oh, yes, yes, that was her. <laughs> She did. Uh, she did. Um, she was. She worked on Liar Liar in casting. Um, so you're saying that like she has the ability to get good people to do crap. Like she did basketball. Like I rest my case. There you go. <laughs> she, did, right. she did. She was a casting assistant on basketball, which is uh, yeah. She definitely like seems to be capable of either running teams or working on teams that convince people to uh, just make garbage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, and that just, doesn't that mean she's really good at her job? I think so. Like, like, like there's that movie Harry Belafonte made called Bobby, which is about the assassination of Robert Kennedy. Um, it stars Harry Belafonte, Emilio Estevez, Nick Cannon, and Lawrence Fishburne, and Heather Graham, and Anthony Hopkins, and Helen Hunt, and Joshua Jackson, and Ashley that's a, Kutcher, that's a and Sheila Cass. And Lindsay Lohan and William H. Macy. <laughs> You're just naming names at this point. No, I'm looking down the list. I'm like, holy crap, the uh, casting of the movie is absurd. It's a 2006 movie about the assassination for of Robert F. Kennedy. It won uh, Golden Globe. It was nominated Golden Globe for Best Picture. But it's but like I everyone sure that like, won a Kid's Choice Award that year just got an automatic <laughs> part of the Robert Kennedy assassination. It was like part of their – you know how they get those bags backstage, which is like, yeah. you know, some like really nice headphones and maybe like a gift certificate to a spa. Uh, and a part in the Robert Kennedy biopic. You know, this, by the way, I just found it. This is a goldmine for the um, Kevin Bacon uh, game. Like, (laughs) absolute gold. Like, oh, when did Shia LaBeouf and Lindsay Lohan make a movie together? Like, oh, when did, like, Demi Moore and Martin Sheen make a movie together? When did Christian Slater star in a movie with Elijah Wood? Like, (laughs) (laughs) Elijah Wood, was it a two? Yeah, like it makes it's hilarious because JFK is like the quintessential. Yeah, I'm serious. All these people were in this movie. It's absurd. Oh. Opening up the full cast, you don't usually see like uh, guys guys like um, Sharon's people like Sharon Stone below the fold in the casting of a movie. Um, like you have to open up the full list of people in order to see that Sharon Stone was in the movie. Um, I'm kind of assuming that there was like a really fun party going on one night, and they just like <laughs> brought a camera in there. They're just like, hey, we're just gonna do a scene for a movie. Yeah, you well, all are in it. <laughs> Maybe it's like a sequel, an unofficial sequel to JFK, which also had an enormous cast um, and had Kevin Bacon. But somehow not as good to cast. 
Like Bobby no. has a better film and like a better <laughs> cast than JFK. This is ridiculous. This cast is Nick. The fact that Nick Cannon and Harry yeah. Belafonte are at the top is absolutely Nick Cannon is the real winner of this movie. I really, I mean, Nick Cannon seems to win at life. Like Nick Cannon, I mean, I don't know how he's doing you guys it. Have seen Roll Bounce, right? No, I haven't seen Roll Bounce. You got, you got to see Roll Bounce. It, it actually is like. It's it's it it's cheesy fun that like wears his cheese on his sleeve. It's it's okay because it's it's supposed to be cheesy. It's about right. um the the competitive roller dancing circuit in the seventies. <laughs> oh okay okay. And Wait, it's literally Bow wow about like Bow Wow is in this movie. Yeah yeah it's like, a, it's a Bow Wow vehicle and it's and like um <laughs> like Megan Good and and yeah, I think okay. like. And then it's it's literally like you know new kid in town who thinks he used to be good at roller dancing in his old hood, but does he have what it takes to roller dance in his new hood? I actually think I watched about fifteen minutes of this movie at one point. And it actually, is, I gotta say that like whoever they found who was really good at roller dancing, my hat is off to them. They are very good at dancing on roller skates. You know what? You know what? Speaking of speaking of, speaking of skate dancing. Um, yeah. I, I found um, the movie Skate Town USA, which apparently Patrick Swayze was in 1979. <laughs> How's that for bringing it back around? Skate Town USA? Skate well, Town yeah, USA. His, his first credit. Um, He's credited as Ace right? Johnson. He was quoted in his obituary, which of course I don't think he knew he was submitting a quote for at the time, <laughs> that he was like <laughs> really worried after Skate Town USA that he was going to end up as a teeny bopper actor, and which is probably why he went to London to do like the stuff that he, he, was, he was awarded sent awards with for there but yeah that was a scott bayo i'm looking at this this is a great cast we got scott bayo we got flip wilson uh flip wilson whom you may know as fr- that guy from 227 and or like what else what else did, is, didn't he is have flip his own wilson? variety show yeah the i flip think wilson so right show. yeah yeah he had a talk show he was a very famous guy um and yeah 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 yeah, yeah. no you're right you're right he was like a sort of sabato gigante kind of fellow um and who's maureen mccormick because she was in this movie and she looks she sounds famous um, uh, oh, is she uh, Marsha Brady? That's who she is. Marcia, She's Marsha Brady. Marcia. Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a movie with Scott Bayo and Marsha Brady uh, about um, skateboarding. No, about roller skating. With uh, Patrick it's the, it's the rock and roller disco movie of the year was the tagline, which I feel like <laughs> is shooting just about at the right height. <laughs> like, that's yeah. the bar in just the right place. I'm, uh, certain, I'm like, sure 1979 was a very competitive movie for a rock and roller and disco <laughs> I, I would venture to movies. say that 1979 was probably one of the most competitive movies for rock and roll <laughs> disco movies. By the way, um, I have I have the single best piece of trivia that there is about Skate Town USA. Oh, what is it? Are you ready for this? I don't yes, know if I'm ready for this. But Skate Town USA was written by the guy who played Mike Myers in Halloween. <laughs> like the guy in the mask who stabbed everyone to death that guy wrote Skate Town USA and I believe is, I'm looking at the same guy is, are you talking about Nick Castle that is, is that Nick Castle he is slated to direct the 2010 remake of, of The Last Starfighter no <laughs> yeah he is I think so oh, no. same guy. Um, yeah, he, all, if, you had, if you had nearly said to me there's going to be a remake of The Last Starfighter I still would have said no die anu if <laughs> Remake. That's like my favorite word now is Dayanu. They were, they were <laughs> well, keep in mind, he also directed the original Last Starfighter, apparently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he directed. So I guess it's not that surprising. Did he directed The Last Starfighter? He directed. So the guy who directed The Last Starfighter is the psycho killer from Mike Meyer? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? You guys, like, what, is, what, what did we do before IMDb crazy. existed? Uh, we, just, we played. We, I think, I think we, we, we like, made out with girls, right? 
Oh, uh, yeah, yes, I can, that is I correct. Say, I can that say with authority that I never made out with a girl prior to the existence of IMDb, um, and that is not because I wasn't at the right age for it. It's let me, let me rephrase not. this question. When, when, because uh, we were called, <laughs> we were called kids, but you know, in the aughties, you know, the early two thousands, and you know, yeah. we we sat around and you know, and uh, riffed on pop culture, and a lot of that was aided by IMDb. What did those college kids do in the nineties and eighties? Sitting around. I mean, they had to what? Go off and gnaw head off the top of their heads. Man, I'm gonna have to look that up on the internet. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, no, so I think we- that they, well, back then, it was, culture was was much more homogenous, right? Like a lot of people watch the same shows and 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 watch, like you would have to watch the news, like you would have to watch, like everyone watched uh, the Cosby Show. That's what we did. That's what they did. They everyone watched, everyone watched Mash. That's my story, right? and I'm sticking to it. Everyone watched the Cosby Show. That's the answer to your question. No, seriously, everyone <laughs> watched Mash, right? Which is that's still yeah, the yeah. highest rated, uh, you know, series finale. Yeah. For anything, and even like Seinfeld wasn't able to reach that because you know yeah. the, the market, even by that point, had become more dif- more diffracted. Yeah. Although, I mean, although that... the Super Bowl has knocked it out of the park a couple of times, I believe, right? Well, I, I, I feel like in a strange way, it's almost like a little bit sad that information is so easy to. Find because like it used to be that like you would have to like research these pieces of pop culture minutia, and when you found stuff out, like I remember that like I heard back in the late nineties that there was a movie based on the song Convoy, and I eventually I found a video store that had a copy of it. This was not easy to have a copy. There was no Netflix, hmm. you know, um, and. Back in the, I, I don't, you know, these things weren't available on eBay, and and I found a copy, and like, you know, I invited all my friends over, and I'm like, I got this bootleg copy of this crazy movie from the 70s, and we all watched, and now I'm pretty sure, like, I could probably like download it tonight and be yeah. watching it in like an hour if I wanted to see it, mm-hmm. which I guess is good, but it's a little bit sad that like, you know, I mean, do you guys ever participate in like tape trading? No, but I, I'm familiar that, with that. Like, you're familiar with it. I mean, like, yeah. it obviously is more for music. You know, like, people used to literally, I mean, my brother was very into fish, and he used to, like, mail people cassettes of fish shows and get cassettes of other fish shows back. Now you just download it all. Uh, but the same thing happens with movies, like, really obscure, you know, Russian animated films, you know, from the mm-hmm. Soviet era. Um, that, like, you would, you know, you would send people copies of your cool, you know, pop culture minutia and get copies back. And it was kind of cool to be like, to have like a bootleg video library that like people could come over and like see the weird stuff you'd collected over the years. Yeah, mm. that's a good. I remember like um this this the Star Wars holiday special right used to be yeah, this exactly. legendary like, thing which you could just and now, like now ever, you can only watch talk it online, about never find just, it. Yeah, yeah it's sorry. on YouTube now. It's so easy to find now. <laughs> right. Oh uh, man, you know, I, um, first of all, I want to break in with a quick Emmys update. Uh-oh. We've got uh, Best Supporting Actress goes to Sherry Jones, or Cherry Jones, who played the president in this season of 24. Um, and if you've watched 24, you've known that the president is always the worst president ever, um, except when it's the deadest president ever. Um, and uh, then the Best Supporting Actor went to some dude from Lost, creepy guy. I don't watch Lost, so I don't know who he is. I think, I, I think he's one of those – he's not one of the people who came on the plane. I think he's one of the – He's easy, guys, one so. of the others. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Steve then Daily Show, of course. Daily Show wins variety music or comedy series, which is like a big, yeah. you know, that's a big, that's a big category: the variety music or comedy. Yeah, right? I mean that's I putting like, you know the the Daily Show up there against with like whatever the Flip Wilson show's equivalent is today. There's not really much I mean, variety shows out there today. I mean, do we really do we really want to compare the Daily Show to Yo Gabba Gabba? I mean, is that entirely fair? Uh, <laughs> or like Yo Gabba um, Gabba's great. Have you ever seen that, by the way? Oh yeah, I've watched Yo Gabba Gabba. It's pretty freaking crazy. Uh, do you like it, Yo Gabba Gabba? It's really cool. I mean, it's like it's like a throwback to like the days when like things weren't focus group to death. 
yeah, uh, like, yeah, yeah. It's, got, it's got a little bit of and I'm sure like the spontaneity is focus group to death but still it's nice yeah. to have something that doesn't feel like Dora the Explorer it is it is um, pretty daring I love that Biz Markey is on it that's pretty funny that's pretty yeah. funny alright guys that's the day before we uh, uh, go headlo- headlong into the Emmys conversation any last thoughts on uh, Patrick Swayze who's left us on Patrick Swayze? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I would say that um, we talk a lot about, in our society, in our culture, mullets, right? <laughs> Mull- mullets get a pretty <laughs> bad rap. Mullets the hairstyle, the mullet. The hairstyle, or the fish, but mostly the hairstyle, the mullet, <laughs> gets a pretty bad rap and is often brought up as sort of like the antithesis to anything desirable in the universe. Um, and I, I just want to say that, like, this is sad because it's sort of like how our children and grandchildren will know less and less than we did and our parents did about the Holocaust because it's like ge- information is lost as generations pass and people will forget that actually Patrick Swayze looked pretty good with a mullet. Uh, he actually kind of pulled it off. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. This. Okay. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of Patrick Swayze's hair and the, 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 even like for all the crazy 80s stuff, the word mullet doesn't really come to mind because like it was like kind of flowing locks. I'm just, I'm doing yeah, a... I guess it was more of a hockey cut at times. I mean, maybe in, I'm thinking in Roadhouse. Didn't he have a, a mullet in Roadhouse? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I definitely don't. I, I feel like it's not not a mullet. <laughs> well, let me take a look. Maybe, it's yeah, maybe mul- I'm it's wrong. Mullet, mullet-esque. It is mullet-esque, but, in, you know, in terms of the scale of mulletude. Um, I don't know. I'm going to send you guys it, a picture. that uh, I'm going to send this over the back channel to you guys, and you guys can be my guests as to whether Patrick Swayze ever had a mullet or not. Although I don't know where that picture is from. Um, I mean, I, I guess to, I mean to close up. No, the not a mullet. Not a, not a Pat, mullet. Sorry, Patrick that's Swayze. not a mullet. Well, no, it's, it's mullet esque. Mullet esque. I will give it that much. Mullet esque. All right. Fair. Because you know the mullet. What makes what makes a mullet a mullet see. is the sides, right? Like the, the, the shorter the sides are, and the, the crazier the back is, that's what really makes a mullet. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that that's the the no true Scotsman fallacy is what that is. Like that's not a that's not a true mullet. True mullets look silly. True mullets don't look masculine on Patrick Swayze when he's beating up people. I don't know. I can't do it anymore. I think we're gonna have to let like the dead rest because I think I can't resurrect him. I can't bring Patrick Swayze back. He's gone yeah. forever. We had the time of our lives, and you know we all we, we do him. owe it. In fact, owe it to him. I was yeah, always, yeah. Can I bring up one thing about that iconic scene that that's always sort of like puzzled me? Please do. That it, it, the movie takes place in the fifties, does it not? Uh, Dirty Dancing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's fifties like, in the very early sixties. Like that song is not even close to being like a song from the fifties or sixties, right? It's that not even. A, yeah, that's they don't a really good point. Try to make it that style. So because it's supposed to be, um, what's the word for, for sound? Diegetic. And it's supposed to be diegetic in, in the movie. Is it right. Not? It's supposed to be like he is playing, he has a recording of that on like a presumably LP. And, you know, he gets it queued up. Um, yeah. I mean, here's the best I could think of for, for what's going on in that moment. That I was reading an interview with, who, who's the gentleman who did uh, uh, Deadwood? Uh, you know, wrote the whole thing. Oh, who wrote all of Deadwood? Um, yeah, gosh, what, I guess I would have to stall for a minute while I check on David, Mil- David Miltrite might be. But anyway, like he was, uh, it's got a lot of profanity in it, like a lot of profanity. Yeah, David Milch, and, yeah, you're right. And David somebody Milch. asked him, like, you know, well, can you talk a little about the profanity? He's like, well, this is not actually the profanity they would have used. You know, we do extensive research, and they used a lot of profanity, but they used profanity that is completely, you know, it's fallen out of the language now. And to our ears, like, it would sound like nonsense. And so yeah. what I've done is I've replaced the profanity that they did use with profanity that has the same effect to a modern audience. Mm-hmm. 
And I feel like that's that might be what's going on in the final scene of Dirty Dancing, that like the people in the movie are hearing a different song, a song from the 50s. But we in the 1980s are hearing a song that's just as cool to us. So it's a translation, basically. It's like dubbed yeah, that, that like yeah, yeah, that that whatever song that is that they really are dancing to in Dirty Dancing is being like translated through the magic of film into a song that has meaning to the people in the eighties. Right. I right, like right. that. I like that theory, but I'm struggling to find to think of another example of that because music, in particular, is so keyed in to I mean, our you the, know the way the, we interpret the, uh, can, you know like, time. In, uh, has anyone seen um, A Knight's Tale? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I the Heath Ledger movie, right? right? And in Night's Tale, I mean, they have they have lots of uh, they have rock music, a lot of rock music, and sort of like especially Queen, I believe, occurs numerous times in a Night's Tale. But they actually, in one of the early scenes, they have everyone while they're waiting for the jousting to begin doing "We Will Rock You" and actually like you know doing the stomping and singing the words to "We Will Rock You." Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I feel like that's exactly what's going on there is that they're they're trying to make jousting feel fresh to a contemporary audience they're trying to make it to make it seem like this was the arena sport of its day yeah. um you know what's a great know. example is uh if you take queen is to th- talk about it's really interesting to talk about highlander because he yeah. play the queen music both in the 80s where it is like the music of the day and then they go back in time and they're they're in like ancient uh, medieval scotland or whatever and they play the queen music again uh, and it's like it's 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 his his own experience is the same, but it's very clear that the music that he would have been listening to at the time would not have been Queen, unless Queen are immortals who live by the sword and can only be <laughs> defeated by chopping off their heads or by human immunodeficiency virus. But oh, mostly yeah, by chopping. I, I was about to go there. Yeah, that didn't really work yeah. for Fred Mercury. I but, believe um, it. Apparently, I was doing I was doing some research on uh, jukebox musicals. You know, where like you take the songs of a particular rock band, such as like uh, Mamma Mia. You take all the ABBA songs and you tie them together with a narrative. Right. Yeah, like Good it, Vibrations. You know, or Jersey right. Boys. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. And apparently, there is actually a Queen one called "We Will Rock You," and it's it's never come to Broadway, but it's actually pretty popular in England. And it's set like in a future dystopia, and it's about like a band of like young rock and roll rebels trying to overthrow. This sort of like you know repressive non-rocking government through the power <laughs> of uh, rock and roll music. So and like, isn't that the plot of the Aerosmith video game? <laughs> or what was that? Do you, is that, do you know I what know I'm what talking you're about? Saying. I, all I can think of is like music is the weapon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I guess... also think one of the weapons is guns. I think guns. <laughs> <laughs> guns is the weapon. Is. <laughs> There you go. There you go. <laughs> okay. And, and on that note, let's uh, shift things into a different gear here and catch up with the Emmy Awards. Um, certainly not, uh, you know, the, the, the most glamorous uh, award show. I think that definitely, you know, if there's a pecking order for award shows, clearly the Academy Awards, the Oscars at the top. I don't know yeah. what falls on after that, though. The Emmys, perhaps, or the Grammys. I think the Golden Globes, probably, right? But that's, I guess, in, in, is that in the same? Well, the Golden Globes is both for TV and for movie, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I would about, say the Golden Globes are more prestigious than the Emmys, in my mind. I don't know. Maybe really? I'm incorrect. I mean, I, maybe uh, that's a good question, though. I, maybe for think, TV people. Like, is maybe it better it's just because Golden movie Globe? stars are there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, like, if you're a TV star, you might get to see a movie star if you're invited to the Golden Globes. <laughs> it's like, oh, Sherry Jones, Sherry Jones, look, it's, it's C. Thomas Howell. Yeah. He's over there. Um, <laughs> I, I watched the first hour of the, the Emmys, and I could, say, I could say a few things about it. Um, sure, fill us in. I mean, how's Hauser doing? Doogie Hauser doing okay? 
he he did okay. He had the misfortune of starting the show with like a lavish musical number in the same year that Hugh Jackman also started his award show with a lavish musical number. And as as great as uh, Neil Patrick Harris is, like Hugh Jackman is just better. It's hilarious because because Neil Patrick Harris is like an accomplished Broadway star, yeah. But Hugh Jackman is a more accomplished Broadway star, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and like obviously, like the budget is higher, the jokes are yeah. like a little bit better, and like Neil Patrick Harris did like a fine job, but like it really cemented home this this you know like I was two minutes into the show and I'm already like I wish I was watching the Academy Awards <laughs> better. Yeah. Can, yeah, can yeah. we talk about Neil Patrick Harris for a moment here because here he is hosting the Emmys, which I guess is a big deal, right? Oh, yeah. Um, like hosting is a big deal, especially because he's probably the first openly gay host of the Emmys, right? Really? I just said that. I just said that because I wanted to make shit up. I mean, it's it might it's probably not true. <laughs> but um, uh, who's hosted the Emmy Awards? Let's see who's hosted the Emmy Awards. And ba- I can back that up. Um, In the meantime, though, anyway, Neil Patrick Harris, right? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't this kind of his big comeback uh, in Harold and Kumar? And he, like, wasn't in really like back in the pop culture milieu in between you know the end of Doogie Howser and that How I Met Your Mother yeah just because you're not a fan of How I Met Your Mother doesn't mean Uh, that he wasn't that's a fairly recent uh, TV show though right I suppose probably in it's like fourth or fifth season at this point yeah it started in 2005 but Harold and Kumar is from before that Um, Harold and Kumar is from 2004 so um, Harold and Kumar and then How I Met Your Mother is shortly thereafter but I do, I do think that around that time he was also. Um, that's when he was really getting those star Broadway roles. Didn't he have a run in cabaret or something yeah, like I, that? I actually saw him in a performance of Assassins, the uh, oh, okay. Stephen Soundheim sort yeah, of musical yeah. review about uh, people who try to kill the president. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in I, Starship was... Troopers. I would like to point out in 1997. Oh, so oh, that's where he was. Of course, he was in Starship Troopers. He was wonderful in Starship Troopers. He has, a, he has a major. I haven't seen Starship Troopers. I didn't know he had a major part. Oh, in it. you need to see Starship Troopers. I'm sick of telling yeah. everyone I know to see Starship Troopers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. If you look at it, he didn't really do. If you go from uh, Starship Troopers, um, if you go from there, uh, going. I mean, he was on an episode of Will and Grace. He did a bunch of like guest spots on various random ass TV shows, um, and then he basically just did musicals. And um, and and then he does really nothing uh, that we really recognize until he was in Undercover Brother in 2002, which is probably a better <laughs> incident of his comeback because that is a great role. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, he's the intern, right? Or... He's the white intern that is uh, part of the black super spy organization that was added right. because of affirmative action. Uh, right. and, and I remember that getting supposed. That was hilarious. That movie is really good, by the way. I really enjoy right. Undercover it's... Brother. <laughs> I don't know if I'd give it a really good, but like I'd almost say surprisingly good. That's because that, you that, know, that's accurate. I'll, I'll revise like, myself. <laughs> it sort of like leaves it vague how good it is. It just says that like it's probably better than you would expect it to be. Yeah, yeah, hey, that's true. I mean, David Cross like, does a good job in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like really good is like you know the Godfather is really good. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean, let's listen to this all-star cast. You got Eddie Griffin. Chris right. Kattan, Denise Richards, Dave Chappelle, you got Neil Patrick Harris, you got Billy D. Williams, TV's Jack Noseworthy. I oh, mean, and James on, Brown, how, right? How far down Ron, do you have to go before James Brown gets in there? Ron Pardo is in this movie. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> James Brown is in this movie too. I'd forgotten about that. That's hilarious. Yes. You got D- D- David Cross in the movie too, right? And he plays like the David white Cross? guy. Was, was that? No. Like, yeah. Let me see. Um, I don't know. I hope so. No, I guess David not. Cross I guess one of those guys like, who like. He deserves to 
get more mainstream work. No, I, I'm wrong. He wasn't in in this movie. But but uh, uh, Harris is in this movie. I don't know. I thought the movie was was. You're right. It, it mostly benefits from the fact that upon seeing that it exists, you have no notion that it could possibly be tolerably good. Um, but it turns out to be like a fairly serviceable movie, um, which with a lot of fun little moments. Fairly and, serviceable. And that was pretty much when Neil Patrick Harris was back on the pop culture radar because I think that 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 white intern gag in that movie like made the rounds. Um, and from there, he went on to be Spider-Man in a TV show, but that doesn't really count. And yeah. he did Harold and Kumar just like a couple years later. So now so, Neil Patrick Harris is like ten years older than we think he is, right? Is that true? Is he like seventy years old? Is that well, like true? for instance, in like Undercover Brother, he is playing like an intern, so somebody who perhaps is supposed to be in their like mid twenties. Yes, like he's got to be like you know pushing forty, right? Oh, right now Neil Patrick Harris, yeah, he's uh in that movie, he's probably pushing. He's Pushing thirty. He was born in seventy three, so he's uh, do the math 30, 30, 36, years, 36 old. years old. Yeah, he's thirty six years old now, yeah. which means that he's you know he's actually one year younger than Patrick Swayze was in Dirty Dancing. No, he's one year older than Patrick Swayze was when he made Dirty Dancing, which is crazy mm-hmm. when you think about it. Then Neil Patrick Harris, who's been kicking around for like twenty some odd years, um, and who seems to be like getting on there in years. You know, like I feel like I see him now, and he's like he's older. He's an older guy, but like. That's Patrick Swayze age. That's like height of Patrick Swayze's career was when he was what Neil Patrick Harris is now. So Do you consider kind of crazy. so what what is the the Patrick Swayze age that he does Dirty Dances thirty five or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because he and was that, like can we can we go as far as to say that like thirty five is like the height of male virility based on that like <laughs> one data point? That like, data point. Swayze was when he did Dirty Dancing. I, then like that is like when a man is like at his like most mature and sexy and wise. I don't know. I think, like, in terms of, like, sperm count and things, it's more like, like, 19 or 20 or something like that, isn't it? <laughs> what? You were the sperm. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. so Asian of you to see that. Yeah. Now, come on. Now, for, to, be, to, to argue in favor of that, at 35, George Clooney made From Dusk Till Dawn. Um, and, go, then, which is, and then at 36, he made Batman and Robin. So it was like, boo! Uh, <laughs> and let's see. Let's see oh, what he's been recovering from that one ever since. Yeah, I'm like um, looking up famous when he won that Academy famous Award. Famous Hollywood really for playing Batman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all know that. We don't tell people about it, but we know that. <laughs> oh, um, and interestingly enough, at 35, Harrison Ford played Han Solo. He was there 35 years old. For, his, yeah. for, I think for episode four, for the fact that like 35, yeah. at least historically, is like the age at which, like you know. Which one of the many fa- one day, um, Pete, me and you are gonna have like a two hour long podcast where we just debate uh, Superman Returns. <laughs> because like, the summer like that that came it. out, like we exchanged like a series of essays on like whether that movie had any redeeming qualities. Yeah. You know what um, I call that movie, right? It's like the Los Angeles Community Theater's production of Superman the movie. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they have a lot of hearts. What was wrong with it is that Brandon Ruth or whatever his name is is way too young to play Superman. Yeah, but like, Superman yeah. should be like a mature, grown man. Mm-mm. I mean, I, f- I felt like it was part of the vision of the movie that the actors are all the, the parts are all played by actors who are too young to play them. Like with right. the inclusion of Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor, um, that it feels like it's a school play is what it feels like. Um, mm. Now, granted, I have very positive feelings about school plays, and I feel like you know we should, as actors, people should be capable of playing to an older age. But um, it definitely had this quality of like, I saw this movie when I was a kid. It was really great. So I wanted to make it again. But I think the difference is like, I thought that that was a really watchable, good thing to do. And you thought it was kind of a piece of crap. Um, because it's I thought, like. A- I thought 
why could they have not taken the two hundred million dollars and made it like a good Superman movie? <laughs> <laughs> like an elaborate YouTube like sweeting, like the most expensive sweeting of all time is basically what it is. <laughs> They're like, hey, I, I understand what you're saying you're saying that there's like a way to enjoy Superman Returns, but I'm just like, wow, but it's not as a good Superman movie. Okay. That's not. The you guys clearly I, have t- an entire podcast worth of material. I'm sorry, Superman I'm sorry. Returns. We're gonna open this can of, of superworms. So. Um, Let's let's talk about let's talk about the Emmys. I think there's some there's yeah. some, some surprises, some disappointments that some shows were just were not nominated yeah, there, there at were, all. There were two categories I wanted to throw out there that I actually saw that sort of surprised me. Let me tell you the people who are not the outstanding lead actress in a comedy series: uh, Christina Applegate, Tina Fey, Julie Louis Dreyfus, Mary Louise Parker, and Sarah Silverman. Those are not the winner. The winner is Tony Collette for the United States of Terra <laughs> on Showtime. Outrage. Outrage. It, it, it uh, is especially because it's like 30 Rock really dominated the comedy section of those awards. Alec Baldwin won. Um, of the of the best writing in a comedy series, four out of the five nominees were episodes of 30 Rock. And one episode – guess what the, the one episode that was not an episode of 30 Rock was for best original writing in a comedy series? Don't tell me Family Guy. No, it was an episode of Flight of the Concords. <laughs> <laughs> It was Man. and 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 yet Tina Fey uh, snubbed. And then the other one is here are the people who are not uh, outstanding supporting actor: uh, Kevin Dillon for Entourage, Neil Patrick Harris for How I Met Your Mother, Jack McBrayer for Thirty Rock, he's Kenneth, Tracy Morgan for Thirty Rock, or Rain Wilson for playing Dwight on The Office. The actual outstanding supporting actor is John Cryer for Two and a Half Men. Mm. Now I, so, I definitely think he's pretty he's pretty good at what he does because um, he's got a so you've you know seen Two and a Half Men. I have seen Two and a Half Men. I've watched a couple episodes of it, and it's honestly like, as far as consumable TV uh, sitcoms go, um, it's got some really good parts to it. Now, granted, Did I you find say that, that to it's, be- it's the Superman Returns of sitcoms. <laughs> I, I I would say that that's a great characterization to apply to something, but this is not the right thing to apply okay, to it. No, I think that what what Two and a Half Men is is like the final and total transmogrification of Charlie Sheen into Martin Sheen. <laughs> it's like, it's like we get to watch him age, and we get to watch him like hold on to his youth and squeeze every last bleeding ounce of it out of it before he becomes like a silver haired curmudgeon, which I feel like is is creeping upon him rapidly. Um, but I mean, if you compare it to like, I, I mean, I find it much more watchable than like The King of Queens. Um, especially more than something, something really legitimately. That, that's, a, that's a quote for the right there for the poster. Much yeah. more watchable. <laughs> than the on. We're, we're getting I, I on mean, something. We're getting on something here that I want to explore because we mentioned you know two and a half men in the same company as King of Queens, right? And I think there's become this sort of bifurcation of the sitcom or the comedy show, right? The kind of the two and a half men and King of Queens kind of thing, more traditional with a laugh track. Yeah. According and to then, Jim. According yeah, to Jim. Yeah, yeah. And then on, that's kind of the more lowbrow thing. And then for you know the more sophisticated audience, you have something more like 30 Rock or The Office, um, which I is mean, a different I, style, I no laugh track. track being very like, you know, lumbering dinosaurs. I mean, they, they in terms of like new ones that they're rolling out like that, the last one I can think of is The Big Bang Theory is a laugh track sitcom. Yeah. Um, and I mean, How I Met Your Mother and How I Met Your Mother tries as hard as it can to really like squeeze all the life there is out. I mean, I, I like it a lot, but it still feels like like they're they're you know, they're 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 fighting. You know, it's not saying that like, you know, you always fight the last war. The army is always fighting the last war. Yeah. And it's, yeah, yeah. Like, it's sort of like they 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 miss the memo that like people don't make comedies like that anymore. <laughs> like the Big Bang Theory, people are like riding horses into the trench warfare of World War One and are like, oh, the cavalry is going to win today. Yeah, it's the charge and... of the light brigade. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
Well, I mean, I think because you know, the reason they made laugh, and the reason they continue to make laugh track sitcoms is just people. It's it, the thing that people are buying when they buy that is the repeatable familiarity. The this is what I watch like every week at a certain time. It's what I enjoy. Like I will watch, you know. Uh, mash like every week at a given day and I really like it Cosby show and th- there's this large group of people that are rapidly aging but they're you know they're still part of the population they still matter they're still got a lot of money even though they lost a lot of it in the stock markets um, who w- just want to watch that that's all they want to watch they don't care whether a show is like funny in a new way or interesting like they want their three cameras they want their laugh track they want like the the over overbearing wife and like the sort of incompetent father and like the little devil kids and all the nonsense and they want the lesson at the end and like that's they want that because they want the predictability in their life right they want that sense of sanity but like Um, the two most popular like laugh tracks that come now are probably um how i met your mother and well i'm right two and a half men and like i mean i was gonna say the big bang theory and like those are shows that skew really young and are about being like a 20 something nerd and liking Battlestar Galactica. And, yeah. And now, it's like, are you are you talking about? Um, is that in terms of Nielsen ratings, or is that in terms of like? I guess, but? I guess in terms of like shows that I know people who watch, which I realize is not a great metric to carry out this conversation <laughs> with. Can we find out what are the? Does any has, can anybody find out like what sure. the Nielsen ratings are for like current sitcoms, like um, or for current TV shows, network TV? Let's see if, um, if I can dig this up on the old Wikipedia here. Oh, here yes. we are. Nielsen ratings for September seventh to thirteenth. So this is not f- totally fresh, but it's you know this is from USA right. Today. I mean, this isn't going to include like you know the Office or Thirty Rock or anything like that because they don't. Oh, that's right. It. Yeah. So it's all the NFL football stuff. America's Got Talent. Um, uh, other than sports, it's like uh, it's a lot of sports. <laughs> sixty minutes. Sixty minutes. It ranks higher than any of the sitcoms. Um, although Big Bang Theory is the highest rated, although at this point it has new episodes and nobody else does, right? You guys, I have um, an idea. Let's let's. Uh, there's there's college who's listening to this podcast, right? Can we yeah. list them as interns uh, to be our researchers so they can feed this kind of information to us in real yeah, time? Yeah, we, we have the power to give them course credit. I say we go ahead and do it. Can I? Can I get? Yeah, some, we're some... we're accredited and and some by you know by ourselves by the Overthinking <laughs> Institute of Accreditation. Yeah. Can we yes. get them to feed us grapes as well as this other stuff? <laughs> other forms of random manual labor that, that we yeah. come up with. Um, yes, yeah. if you want to be an intern for Overthinking It, be it the podcast or the site, uh, email us at uh, podcast at overthinkingit.com. We'll get to the rest of the contact information later. I but... won't pay for your gas or your train tickets to come and feed me grapes. No, we're not going to pay for anything either. For that <laughs> if you want to do it and you think it would be a useful professional experience, I'm not going to stop you. Here, here's a useful statistic. I'm, I'm looking at an article from the very end of 2008 uh, about the beginning of last year's uh, television series, and they said that um, sitcoms are in sorry shape. There's only one comedy in the top ten rated shows. That's Desperate Housewives. The right. only half-hour sitcom to break the top 25 is Two and a Half Men. Yeah, look at that. Look at that. So See, it's like, so it's like, even even a show like you know, you watch the Emmy Awards, and you would be led to believe that Thirty Rock is the most popular show on television because, like, you know, it's nominated in every category it could be nominated for. Um, it doesn't really get great ratings compared to, like, let's say, uh, like Law and Order, Special Victims Unit. Yeah, <laughs> not even The Office. Um, I don't. I mean, I'm. I'm I, I wish more so people watch The Office than watch Thirty Rock. Well, it would seem that more people watch Two and a Half Men than watch The Office or Thirty Rock. At no, least on by, by far. 
Yeah, by um, a huge margin. Wait, which is in a way, I, I feel like it's easy to forget when we talk about TV that like 60 Minutes, year in and year out, is like one of the most successful television shows out there. <laughs> people watch 60 Minutes in massive numbers. Yeah. It's like that one thing I brought up that one time where we were talking about what the, the most successful uh, hospital show was on television, like doctor show. And then I, we brought up General Hospital and it was like, oh, crap. <laughs> it's like, wow, like, there's, a whole, there's a whole world out there that I kind of shudder to think about of people who actually <laughs> have their own pop culture that I know very little about. Yeah, well, um, yeah, no, we yeah. talk a lot about like, um, I, well, we, I'm thinking mostly of Rather, um, talks about you know the golden age of television, all this great TV coming out, the Mad Men, the 30 Rock, and lost and the wire all these kinds of things um and that's a golden age i guess only for a certain segment of the tv watching population watching a certain segment of shows yeah. for everything else is still two and a half men king of queens yeah. same stuff yeah. uh you know 30 Plus, minutes a lot of people are watching these shows not on tv too um you know watching them on hulu watching them on the internets watching that's i mean true. probably it's... downloading them and stuff right and it's i think that's one of the things we talk about how like this the whole you know, re- revitalization of the seri- heavily serialized TV shows is made possible a lot by DVD and watching yep. TV over the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you want to hear some statistic about the the rank of TV shows of um, The Office, for instance? Last season, The Office was the fifty third most popular show on TV. Thirty Rock was the sixty ninth most popular show on TV. Wow. So th- this is not very good. I mean, this is like, it doesn't lose money, but like, there are like 52 shows that like get more viewers than The Office. Right. Now, does that you count know? like football games and stuff or not even? That's, no, I think, I think that's regular. Because any week where there's a football game, yeah, the football game the- is going to do better than pretty much anything else. No, um, we talked about, foot- we talked about fragmentation. Of, for a minute. We talked about the fragmentation of the audience earlier. Um, it's. I think it's really coming to bear here again with with TV, and I'm thinking in particular like what is Seinfeld. There's so many common touch points with Seinfeld. You can make a Seinfeld reference in most conversations. You'll expect people to get it. You know, yeah. the puffy shirt, um, right. yada yada yada. All these kind of and, things. And, I, and I feel like that'll never happen again. Right. That, 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 before that, that, cable TV really started to produce shows and and fragmented the audience in a way that like you don't have these cultural touchstones. That's kind of sad though, because Seinfeld was a great show, right? It was really funny, accessible. Um, you know, had a wide appeal. Was... Had you know things that you know were more cerebral and still you know the, also. Uh, you know, very, very funny, just kind of on a, on, a, on a face value level as well, too. I guess. Although, you know, I, I almost hate to say this, but like when I catch Seinfeld on TV nowadays, I enjoy it in sort of a nostalgic way because I remember like watching it when I was like a teenager. But like, I don't, I feel like it doesn't hold up incredibly well. I feel like it feels kind of dated. Mm. Ooh, burn. Just the, just the yeah. style. Or, I don't know. Maybe it's like once you've seen them all, you get the formula. You get that, like, the various plot threads are going to, like, come together and cancel each other out at the end. You know that? I mean, it's it's the same thing. You could you could watch it on um, Curb Your Enthusiasm nowadays. That, like, it's that, it's that Larry David style of, um, you know, theater of embarrassment. Well, well, the formula is is the sin, then. Does that apply to 30 Rock in the office as well, too? Which we are, which we laud as these great TV shows, or well, I mean, or even Lost for that matter, you know. I mean, Lost has a laugh track, really. I've never watched it, mm. so. Well, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I, mean, way, I haven't seen a lot Rock of Lost. Just won Best Comedy at the Emmys. Thirty Rock is taking home the Best Comedy Emmy. So okay, right. That, that so, re- so I think Tina Fey goes home happy. That relieves yeah. me, not just because Thirty Rock won, but this Family Guy did not win. Um, yeah. The last time we discussed the nominations, I expressed my rage and horror and disappointment that Thirty that Family Guy made the list of nominees. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what Emmy said is that you know before sort of every section of the Emmys they did like a little montage of like you know here's reality shows and they did a little reality show montage and for the comedy montage they showed like maybe three or four clips from Family Guy none from The Simpsons mm-hmm. and I'm a guy who still has a soft spot of The Simpsons they're like I I ask you all to if if you're not doing anything on a, on a Sunday night watch it. Um, it's definitely like not as good as it was in the mid nineties, but it's still better than like ninety percent of what's on TV. Yeah, you know we're coming up on I think in December is going to be like the twenty something at the anniversary of The Simpsons. Wow, however many years it's been around for a very long time. Nineteen. I, well, I mean the twentieth anniversary Oman show was like what like nineteen eighty nine that it came around. Yeah, look at that. Don't have a cow, man. Ha ha ha! Cowabunga! That was, no, that, but fam- Family Guy, uh, from what I understand, I've... <laughs> never mind. <laughs> we are we are a, a crack unit right here, <laughs> crack unit of pop culture references. Uh, anyway, what are you talk? You talk about how much you hate Family Guy and how you want it to burn. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, there was um, uh, uh, Blinky, you were you were mentioning this when you in the part that you saw. There was a um, a sequence where they took the uh, the. Um, there was an episode where Stewie's trying to get money from Brian and like beats him up like where's my money man where's my money and right. they and they retooled that or redubbed that to be where's my Emmy and um, viewers at least on the live the New York Times live blog were calling it you know horrific you know disgusting and you know crass well, it's, it's a fairly like graphic clip where like you know he's he's like beating him with a with a, a towel rack from the bathroom and then he shoves his head in the toilet. And yeah, there's like he breaks some glass on him. I think like glass gets like you see pieces of glass like stuck hey, into his Mark, flesh. Mark, Mark, I'm I'm really happy for you, and I'm gonna let you finish. But Uma <laughs> Oprah, Uma Oprah is one of the best award show gags of all time. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that right now. <laughs> What's, what was Oprah doing at the Academy Awards? Was she invited <laughs> just to be a punchline, or was she in a movie that year? Um, she may very well have been a movie. She's done a lot of movies, hasn't she? She's done like the color purple and the color purple, and mm. then she was in the color purple. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uma Oprah. Uma Oprah. But no, no, no. So you're saying that there was really. I didn't mean to really shut down the topic. I just wanted to pull that meme out there because memes are there to be pulled out, just yeah. like. A, Yes, exactly. Now, I'm 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 really happy for you. I'm gonna let you finish, but I I, I gotta say though, <laughs> that's a uh, lie. That lolcats, lolcats, lolcats are the best meme of all time, of all time. <laughs> Look, I'm really happy for you. I'm gonna <laughs> let you finish, but all your bases belong to us. It's the best meme of all time. Oh we, we man, should, we should have a meme off. Is what we should have. It's, it's we should have a meme. You know what we should have is we. I don't know if people do this, but like I don't know if this is already in existence. But we should have like brackets where we get like 128 memes, and we have like weekly elections or like where people <laughs> vote on which meme is better, and we pare it down until we have the best meme of all time. I feel like that would. You be know, very what, I, now that I'm thinking about this, I feel like this may have been done. I mean, it probably has. The first thing of this that I saw that I felt was really successful was back in like 2002 when um. Game Facts did like the best video – started doing the best video game characters of all time uh, elections, and they turned out to be very popular. Uh, and they right, did like the best video game weapons of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and it was like a whole summer-long thing where like every day there was another vote, and you could vote on Whatever. it. The Red and Turtle like, Shell deserved to win that one in a walk. Freaking raw. You know, I took a dive. You know, the oh, hammer took a dive. The best weapons <laughs> like in a, Mario, in a uh, Mario Kart context? No, it was best video game weapons ever across all games. I think the winner was uh, the gravity gun from uh, Half-Life. Uh, there was also the BFG from uh, Doom. 
Was, yeah, but uh, that showed a bias towards the games that were popular at the moment. I, uh, I mean, I don't difficult to do. I mean, the Red Turtle Show is pretty awesome, if you ask me. Like, yeah, there, there's yeah. no I answer mean, to the Red Turtle Show besides more Red Turtle Shells. Yeah. So I'm looking at the list of top 50 right now. <laughs> uh, what, oh, do we have, to, we have to? Oh, to look at the list, do I have to like go through the entire freaking article through all 50 of them? That's Are we talking about the top 50 memes or the top 50 video game characters? Oh no, no, the top 50 weapons. Oh, cool. Uh, and so that yeah, so. Yeah. Oh yeah, they each one has its own. The top ten are Fat Man from Fallout Three, the Energy Sword. Notice how many of these are biased towards games that were popular. Like when wasn't there like a sword from like Final Fantasy Seven that was like fifteen feet long? Uh, probably is probably a penis. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. <laughs> well, you mean the Atma weapon? The Hyper Beam from Super Metroid made it, but I don't really think the Hyper Beam is even the coolest weapon in Metroid. Uh, lightsabers, which shouldn't be in this poll because they're way too mainstream to be considered video game yeah, I would say they're a video game weapon That's just, yeah. you know. the RCP-90 I will buy I feel like the RCP-90 is kind of legendary um, which is the, the rapid about, fire do they have the, uh, the golden gun from uh, you know GoldenEye no I think the RCP-90 was, was higher ranked it might be oh the spreader from Contra was number 5 oh my god the spreader from Contra yeah. yeah and Red Turtle Shell was number 4 so Red Turtle yeah. Shell did very well for itself uh, right, the Crowbar from Half- I started, a, I started a political action committee for that, and it still didn't help. <laughs> yeah, the crowbar from Half-Life, the BFG 9000 from Doom, and the... Oh, actually, the number one is pretty awesome. Actually, the number one is, is totally awesome. It, it gave me a little bit of chills when I saw it. Right. Um, the 4 by one line from Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> totally true. I gotta give them credit for that. That's all. Yes. I think like, any criticisms I ever levied at this countdown, that's maybe the most satisfying number one on a countdown I've ever seen. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're waiting for it, and you're waiting for it, and you really needed to show up. Where is the freaking line? I want the line! And then, boom! Oh, it's a spaceship. Oh, it feels so good. I get to see the guy play cello. I'm a Game Boy. Awesome. Speaking of really satisfying winners, uh, Mad Men just came in as uh, best outstanding drama series. Probably to uh, no one's surprise, but uh, I think there would have been a you know, wailing and gnashing of teeth had that not won. Yeah. So I think and, that wraps up the uh, the right. Emmys for tonight. You know, so Mad Men. And surprisingly, only for the second time in the podcast, I'm going to say that the Shield should have won that one. Yeah. Who Shield. is uh, Brian Cranston? And has anyone seen? I haven't seen Breaking Bad. Is that a good show? Brian Cranston was the dad from Malcolm in the Middle. Apparently, he's a really oh. good actor now. Well, he was pretty good in Malcolm in the Middle. He just had a silly part. Yeah, apparently right? he's like very dramatic and heartbreaking. And and Break, Breaking Bad is about a man who's like dying of terminal cancer, who like to to put away some money for his family, puts his high school chemist. He's a high school chemistry teacher, and he begins to make crystal math to like make money. And about so it's basically it's, weeds with a dude. Is what yeah, but it's about. But I, I feel like weeds is a little more upbeat. Like she's not dying. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Well, also, it's like, it's like marijuana and crystal like, meth were there in totally different drug leagues as well. Yeah, I feel like, but there should definitely be a crossover. Yeah, yeah. Well, he has done one of my favorite things for a sort of middle-aged characterish actor to do, which is he's played Lucifer. Uh, <laughs> he was in a show called <laughs> Fallen, um, which is that about it's like a teen drama about somebody who's half angel that lasted for like what a year. Um, and uh, and yeah, so he was Lucifer in that. And some of my best, some of my favorite performances by like middle aged actors are are uh, when they play Satan. Like um, when when you have uh, that show Brimstone, which I really love, back from 1998, which only lasted for a few episodes anyway. But uh, Satan in that one was played by John Glover, um, and uh, and he did a really great job. And of course, um, you know, 
there's so many other good examples. I won't really get into it now, but because I'm oh, being told right? on the backup channel that Devil's Advocate, Al Pacino is Satan. That's just wonderful. But I've been told on the backup channel that they're starting to play the music. They're starting to play hey, the music. And well, we might have I to do, finish I want to thank my agent and my manager and my agent's manager. I'd like to thank my casting director for putting me in that movie with Wesley Snipes and Gary <laughs> and Steven Seagal and Emilio Estevez and all those people. Um, no, Pete, Pete like I'm real happy for you. I'm going to let you finish. But the last overthinking of podcast episode was the best of all time. <laughs> fair of enough. All fair time. Enough. Okay, all I time. think we, we – uh, I hope that – I'm not really big, that big of a fan of that meme. It's, it's, it's going to get annoying. Um, I, I think it's legitimately funny, but I, whatever. We'll let it pass. I mean, it's, we're, we're, we clearly, you know, are getting enjoyment out of annoying. Yeah, we're making, we're getting enjoyment out of making this, of making this joke now. Clearly, I mean, as I yeah. speak for myself. Um, anyway, if you are getting enjoyment or are despising that meme, um, please let us know. If you um, have anything to think, overthink, to react to about the show, about the Emmy nominations, um, you know, as you know, there are. Multitude of ways to contact us and let us know your opinion. You can, of course, leave a comment on this uh, the, on the post that this podcast appears on the site. You can email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com. You can call us at our gender neutral, non penis referencing voicemail number at 20 eat log zero one. That's two zero two zero three two eight five six four six four zero one. I can't speak today. 20 eat log zero one is the number you need to know. <laughs> And most importantly, you can visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, the site that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I was waiting for someone to have a Kanye meme to go out on oh. to, to interrupt you one more time. Yeah, like, no. like as you say, it probably hey, is hey, like, Mark, hey. I'm going to interrupt you. My, Mark, look, I'm really happy for you, and I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> oh, thanks, Pete. That was really oh. considerate of you. Yeah, no, of course.